Hi, and welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode comes from the 2018 Directors Festival, where Douglas McKinnon, one of the most prolific directing names in UK high-end drama, spoke to Bill Anderson about his remarkable career. If you like what you hear, please leave a review or recommend us to a friend. Happy listening. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, uh, you guys are amazing. Uh, it's only 2 0, and you're ready to uh, abandon England uh, uh, for the good of uh, your craft, your country. Um, uh, welcome to this uh, uh, session. Uh, lovely Douglas McKinnon. Hello. Uh, who, uh, we, we were at the same film school together nearly a million years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the National Film School. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just reminding, he's quite old now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are slightly senior to me. Um, and uh, uh, Douglas is uh, a phenomenally uh, successful and prolific uh, and diverse and varied, uh, uh, hugely successful director who started off uh, in the world of documentary. Started off in stills photography. Stills photography. Yeah. Um, Started off on a yop scheme. On a yop scheme. Yeah. So, well, should we, should we start off with the Isle of Skye? Started off doing photography in school. In school on the Isle of Skye. Isle of Skye, yeah. 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 And w- what, what particular aspects of...? It was mainly to escape having to play football. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, there was, so in the summer, you go swimming, and in the winter, you do photography. And that's that's what I did, and uh, and really got into it, and was doing you know full black and white, you know things, but never had any idea it was going to be a career. And then I went and did a field of business studies course at Napier, um, but that was horrific in Edinburgh. And then um, my sister was working the job centre in Inverness and said there was a guy looking for a, a, a trainee on a youth opportunity program in Inverness. Uh, so off I went, <coughs> and um, it turned out. The guy Blair Urquhart, he was trying to get into the National Film School, which I hadn't heard of. So uh, all, suddenly I was doing it, and he just gave me a camera, and I started taking pictures and started to really enjoy it. And the, the, the wonderful thing about being in the Highlands doing a photography, press photography, is that you get to do absolutely every different type of photography, from hard news to dinner dances. So <clears throat> you really learnt your craft from there. And I mean, by the time I was 20, just because of you know, where I'd landed, it was no, there was no design whatsoever. I'd had the front pages of all the national newspapers because of weird things going on, including a plane crash landing at Inverness Airport. So, on the front page of the Daily Express. Fantastic. So, but at, at that point, I didn't know how to use the lens. <laughs> I had a 500mm refractor, refractor lens, and I didn't know how to work it. So the only wise thing I did that afternoon when I was watching the plane coming in and crash landing... They all survived, all the people, uh, um, was not to change the settings on the camera. So when my boss came out and said, did you get it? And I said, I think so, but I haven't changed it. And he went, thank God for that. So, <laughs> so and, and it, it came out. And, uh, yeah. So, so then I went and did uh, stills photography at Glasgow College of Building and Printing uh, and then going to the film school, the National Film School at Beaconsfield, yeah. which was very scary to place to be because yeah. there's people like you there, intellectuals. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and uh, so I remember 
you uh, did a graduation film um, up on Sky. On Sky. <coughs> there were two, two, two things. So on, I made my graduation film on Sky, and, and a good friend of ours, Kate Swan, produced yeah. it. Andrea Calderwood, a uh, production managed it, and uh, we, we convinced 40, 50 people to come up, and then they wouldn't go away because they were having such a good time. Uh, and we made a very typical film school graduation film about a boy taking his father's remains home to the island and a Presbyterian thing and everything else. I remember my graduation night was alongside um, Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was good fun. Uh, yeah. but, but actually the thing that I did at film school that was more important to me in my career was a, just because I come from where I come from, um, there was a, uh, uh, the Proclaimers had emerged and uh, they were looking for somebody cheap to do um, Letter from America, the video. And so I did that in my last year at film school and it went to number one and, uh, you know, or as a friend of, my, friend of mine said at the time, I heard your video on the radio the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it, but it, was a, it was a number one hit. And yeah. what was good about it, especially in this context, was it was a short thing that people could see and either see or not, you know, and, and it was just like a three-minute pop video. So I got work out of that and then eventually made another short film Again, on Sky with Peter Mullen in it. That yeah, I was say, yeah, yeah, because th- that if, and that was the key one. Yeah, I mean, and I think also, I mean, I just I don't want to kind of read, you know, too much into this, but um, if you look it up on IMDb, it says in the village starving from famine, a man says he has had a vision. Mm. Now, Douglas, is that your thumbnail? Is well, that- yeah. You, you, when you come from where I come from, I'm, I mean, I'm an atheist myself, but. Um, you're surrounded by religion there. And, and uh, you know, the project I'm doing right now, Good Omens, uh, is all about that. It's about two books. It's about the Bible and a book of prophecies. And it, it's kind of... So it does, it does follow you around. I mean, you... you, you my, my two things when I was growing up was, 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 wasn't to do with religion. It was usually running away from it. But uh, the, 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 the photography thing was one thing, but also science fiction was a huge thing in my childhood. And... Um, we only had one channel. We had a four or five lines, black and white, and no cinema. So a Doctor Who was huge when I was a kid, and Star Trek. Um, I was amazed to discover it was in colour <laughs> later on. Both of them, actually. You know. yeah. uh, but um, Doctor Who was huge for me, and, um, and I loved Queen as well. That was another big thing. Queen were the first band that I went to see, and now Queen are right in the heart of Good Omens. You know, they're, they're, they're in the book. So, so you, you kind of... Things come and get you. Oh, that's what I think. So, so you, you set off on your path, and I've done quite a lot of Doctor Who as well, which is my favourite show in the world still. And, yeah. and, and so that so. Um, so that's kind of an instinct. So you were you were. So it's a weird place to, to get that journey happening. Yeah. From. Except that what, what I what I also find interesting about your work is that you are combining uh, those uh, religious visions, maybe on mm. a small island, but with a kind of plane crash. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So, so actually, you know, what's kind of really interesting is that, like, your stuff, although you may be doing, you know, Good Omens and Dirk um, Gently mm. and Doctor Who and Sherlock, uh, you're also doing stuff which is, you know, very, very real. I mean, your, your, your mm. feature film, The Flying Scotsman, was, the story is based on a real man. Yeah, who absolutely. Who did real things. Well, in a way, and, you know, the, the, we don't have a lot of time, but we might get onto it a little bit later, but... There was a period about 10 years ago when <coughs> I was unemployed and it was on the dole. <coughs> and I thought, I actually thought my career in drama was over. And I was, I was sort of, or pretty much over. And I thought, well, 
I'll go and do Gaelic stuff in the Highlands again. I'll be quite happy pottering about, you know, doing, doing that. But then I got a, a Taggart, which he also did at the yeah. same, same time, um, I, almost by chance. And, but, that, but then I started, as, as I realised I was going to get more work, I, I took a decision to try and go down two paths, really. One was to follow writing, you know, I mean, really properly. We all say we're, we're, we look for good writing, but I really decided I was going to head, head for it and wait and take a risk and wait. Uh, and the other thing was I just wanted to develop my, my sort of CGI world type of thing as well. And the good writing leads into acting and CGI as well. And I mean, really, really what, what, again, this is not designed, but it feels like each project in the last seven or eight years has kind of led one from the other. And I've, I've been learning for, for the next project, on the, even though I don't know what the next one is. Yeah. I've been learning for the next one. And I think England just scored again. LAUGHTER <Yeah. laughs> They're not going to be cheering for Sweden, are they? No, no. or Scotland. Uh, but uh, but um, so, so going, going for... Uh, and I spent about four or five years just doing Line of Duty and Doctor Who, and that was, that, that was for a while, that was, my, that was a dream life, because doing, doing, my, uh, you know, doing Doctor Who is amazing, but Line of Duty with Jed, Jed Mercurio is extraordinary because of the writing, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, should we watch a clip? Sure. On Line of Duty, because um, I think that uh, uh, we've got a clip which really shows you in fantastic plane crash directing. But not knowing how to work the camera. No, 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 no actually. ASAP, oh, take the back roads. Uh, not an alien spaceship in sight. Um, but a lot of CGI. Yeah? Yeah. Talk us through that, because I mean, what uh, I think a lot of us, you know, uh, with, you read the, the script of that. Mm. How, do you, how did you manage to achieve the clarity and well, efficiency first, of storytelling? First, first of all, it's a moment when you read the script, because uh, <laughs> I've been privileged enough to read a script like that, and first of all, you find out if you do believe in God, because I would be saying thank you, God, <laughs> at that point, uh, because it was such an amazing script. The, the, the detail that Jed works on is unlike anybody else in British television or in the, in the world, in my opinion. He's, he's extraordinary. So, so, first of all, you think it's gold, and then you think, OK, if it's gold, I'm going I'm to keep it for myself, and I've got to find a way to do it. Um, and, I mean, what you've just seen doesn't really deserve to be on a low-budget cop drama, which... Line of Duty was. I, I haven't done it for a few years, so I think they've got a few more quid now, but <clears throat> we didn't have enough to do that sequence, really, apart from anything else in the schedule. So we had to find ways to um, use the schedule. And in this, this room, it's probably quite an interesting thing to talk about, that we had to make the schedule our friend uh, t to let that s sequence happen, because that was shot over five nights, <clears throat> just, wow. just in the lane, which is more like a feature film sort of thing. You're doing like a minute a night, and, but you've got huge things going on there's actually people on fire, there's actually cars crashing, there's stunts plus performance and everything else. And the way that, the way that we got there, I, I, I expect most of the audience would have seen Line of Duty one way or another, and um, in, that, in that series, Jed had already started doing these long interviews uh, with, with the, you know, he, he's you know, unashamed about doing these huge interviews. And, and I had one in, in, the, in this opening episode that was 17 pages long. And... Um, 
normally in that schedule you'd think, oh, well, that's three or four days' work and everything else. But what I did was shoot it in one day. Uh, and <clears throat> and it, it sort of set a challenge to the actors. Kayleigh, um, who's amazing, and, uh, and the other actors who were equally amazing, I sort of said to them, if we did a rehearsal on a day off, would you come in and do it? And, and, uh, and so we got an interview room set up in a hotel the day before we were going to film it, and we rehearsed it a few times. And actually, you know, we stopped about lunchtime because we were ready, and, and we got two, two, three cameras in, I think two cameras in, uh, and it was all round a table, and we shot that in one day, and we were finished early. Uh, and and it, it's, it's one of my favourite scenes I've ever directed. You know, I love this as well, but... But that, that, that and a couple of other tricks in the schedule let us get five days for this yeah. to make this look so rich and so amazing, you know. So you turn that 17 pages kind of into theatre so you could make cinema. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, but, but I hope that when people watch the interview, it doesn't look short-changed because it's still there. But I just knew I could soak into that and I could, I could push the world to make it work for that and stage it in such a way. And... It's another thing about state. You can stage things to help your schedule as well. And I, I, the, the interview room I chose was a glass coffin, as the actress called it, <laughs> a, that I could shoot from outside in. Um, and it meant that um, they didn't have anywhere to go to. They couldn't. They couldn't move around. No. Uh, they were stuck in chairs. They didn't know that bit, but I knew that bit, and so did you know my DOP and everything. So I knew that if I could get them staged like that, then we 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 could do it. You know. Um, but that, that, that production had to be convinced of that, you know. Uh, but then when we got going and, and they saw this stuff coming through, it was so slow to do over the nights that we had it in, um, partly because of the danger, but, but partly because I just wanted a very particular look. I, I, I love the idea of material like Line of Duty that looks like it's um, kind of unmeant. And Paul Greengrass talk, talks about this, um, about the present past tense camera and... Uh, for me, this is a present tense camera. That, that's what I'm doing in here. And by that, by that, I mean that the camera is not uh, sitting waiting for the thing to happen. It's actually reacting, apparently reacting to the thing that's happening. And that, that goes back to my documentary training as well, about understanding that. So that it, it feels very random. This is much more, I hope, much more precise because I know what every shot is doing, every beat, every tiniest little glance from Keely and every tiny little movement of the cars, where the car's going to, got to be in the story and everything else. You, feel, it, you, feel, you feel as an audience member you're seeking. Yes. You're a- that's the idea. actively seeking. It, 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 that, that's, 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 the, that's another way of putting it, and, it's, and, and that's, that's the feel of it. And the key, the key for me in here with all the CG work that we've got in here, which a, a lot of it's quite simple CG work, it's, it's overlaying things, it's overlaying reflections, it's, you know, some of the road car travelling stuff is, is not real, uh, I couldn't get into Keeley's face properly for all her car, car travelling, so that's all CG. Uh, but, 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 the, but the art, of, in this case, of CG is to make it not look like CG. Yeah. It's to hide it and, and make it feel like it's just part of a... Yeah. that you've just turned up and filmed it by chance, almost. You know. But one of, one, of, one of the downsides for the director of doing it over five nights is that you're kind of the only person there who's holding the scene together in yeah. your head. Yeah, but Je- Je- Jed's very proactive um, on set. He's famous for it. And, and um, I think that's, that's another relationship that I've had to do uh, um, for better or worse over the last seven or eight years with a showrunner you know that relationship is very it's very different from a, from a normal producer because um, the showrunner you know usually has written it and and, they and, know the story. and they've got their, and they've, they know the story better than anybody and with Jed's writing um, 
uh, you know, I've, I've had arguments with Jed over whether it should be a, a full stop or an exclamation mark at the end of a bit of scene description, you know, because it's so, it's so particular. And, and, and that, that for, for me, working with a really great showrunner like Jed, it's all to do with trying to mine his head and the script has kind of come out of his head. So it's, yeah. it's mining that. And it, it's not your vision, it's, that, it's the vision of the, 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 the telly, you know, the programme, not, not yours. Yeah. And that's... I, 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 I don't like the idea of saying something's my vision. I think I, think I, w- I want to find out the line of duty vision, if that makes sense. I, yeah, I, underst- I understand. Um, so in terms of a showrunner and a camera that's seeking. Yeah. Um, another show that you did, which involved a relationship with a showrunner, is Sherlock. Sure. Where the camera is seeking in a different way. Yeah. It's kind of... Uh, Sherlock's a different beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, I mean, and... and so, and so, so, so in, that, in, that, in that way, I mean, what I'd say about that is I'm not, I'm not a director who turns up and, and imposes style, his his or her, well, my style on a show, I seek out the style of the show. So what, what, what I want to do with any episode of any, any drama that I do is I, I, I want it to be the best episode in the history of the series. And, and so that, that, that means it's not your voice, it's the voice of the show. So with Sherlock, what I, what, and the one I did was particular because it's the Victorian one. And, and so we, were, we had to reinvent the brand without destroying the brand and reboot the boot and... and which had already been rebooted, you know. On the other foot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that, that was incredibly hard to do, but really satisfying as well, because we... we um, I mean, Stephen Moffat... I was doing Doctor Who at the time, and Stephen Moffat sort of said to me, took me aside and said, what we're going to do is we're going to start the show as a Victorian show and then carry on to the front titles and do the titles as Victorian and then keep on going until people have forgotten about the, old, about the new version of Sherlock and then we're going to play the trick... Um, and so I said, uh, so what, what's the story going to be? He said, I'm not going to tell you that. I went, OK, right, because he hadn't written it. And Stephen's, yeah. Stephen's always late. The scripts are always great, but he's always late. And he does it with Mark Gittes as well, of course. You know. um, so so the, the relationship with, with, with those guys is different. So Mark is the one that sits behind you every day at the monitor from beginning to end, along with Sue Virtue, the producer. And a... They've, they've got, you know, it's one of the most successful shows in the world, so no surprises, they, they feel very protective of it, you know. So, again, you're, try, you're trying to find your place in that world and not break it up. The first production meeting of Sherlock that I went to, uh, just to give you a sense of pressure, on you, uh, the first production meeting of Sherlock that I went to, um, myself, myself and Susie Lavelle, my DOP, were the only two HODs that hadn't won an Emmy for the last time. <laughs> last time, <laughs> For, for Sherlock, so so that in that show, the, the the wonderful confidence of all the departments is what you're you're not battling it, but you're you're, you're just aware of it. And you know, Benedict and, and Martin Freeman turn up, and I, I remember saying to them both, I said, I think you know the characters, so we're okay on that. So all I can do is bring this new story to to the world, you know, and that's that's what you do. But is when, when you, I think you're being very modest at saying, you know, I don't have a voice, I don't have a vision, you know, and I'm, I think a lot of Scottish people. Directors feel very uncomfortable at saying kind of you know, pretentious things yeah. like that, but you're yeah. very honest, mm. and I think kind of actually saying that you're here as the honest midwife of the story. Would, would you accept that? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean to say that I'm not good at it. No, 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 no <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. But but but, 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 but I think that it is also your story. 
Yeah, I mean, because, I, because well, we'll see. So, 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 one, <coughs> so one, another Highland thing is, is uh, I, I think that cracks a lot of producers is that I don't believe in hierarchy at all, like zero. I don't believe that. I don't believe that anybody hires me. I, I believe that I choose to go and do a job, and that you know. I believe in structure, though. Yeah. I believe that I've got a role. I've got, I've, I've, as director, I've got, to, I've got to be the one, <coughs> often the only one that, on the set that knows what, what the hell is going on, and, and I've got to see it through from beginning to end. Yeah. But, but, but I don't believe that I'm the boss of anybody, and, and so, so that helps me with going into these big shows where, where because everybody else thinks they're in hierarchy, yeah. and I don't. So, I, yeah. I don't care. But, you know, but, so, but, yeah. so, what I uh, could we sh- should we have a look at? Uh, a little bit of Sherlock, sure. and maybe uh, talk about um, you know how <coughs> you uh, interpret. I'm going to say interpreted. Yeah, I'm sure. Say it. Go on. Yeah, let's have, let's have a look at the Sherlock. Uh, Fear show. is wisdom in the face of danger. <laughs> the only Sherlock to win the Emmy for outstanding movie. Brilliant. Yeah, they've won them for other departments. But not for the not for the whole not for the whole thing the whole thing congratulations um, I think that uh, a lot of people uh, I'm speaking actually for myself would be really intrigued to know again you read a script like that mm. and um, you've got to combine two worlds and two time well a lot of people a lot, a lot of people ask me the, the question about what was in the script and what was in came out for me yeah. in that situation and um, the truth in that in that situation, and you know, I've worked with Stephen a lot, Stephen Moffat a lot over the years on a show called Jekyll first of all, and then on Doctor Who obviously, and on this. Um, that his writing has developed over these years, and he's got himself into a place where he 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 and Mark know how to write this stuff. So, for instance, he, they they had written that the Baker Street set was in the, in the street. You know, we shot that in Bath. It happens standing in for London, but so that was there. Um, and in terms of Sherlock, um, it's hard enough just to realise what they've written without coming up stuff with stuff yourself. Because the whole freeze frame thing as well, that, that was an incredibly difficult shot to pull yeah, off. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, the, Sher- the Sherlock budget is very healthy in British television terms, but it's, it, it shouldn't be able to do that. No. It, it shouldn't be allowed to. Because um, it, it's kind of a feature film shot, you know. Um, it, but, but, but I've learned a lot of tricks over the years from doc, doing Doctor Who and everything else. And, and uh, as a little sidebar story, you know how the, these three or four guys are frozen in the street and the camera goes round them? We did, it, we did that in the kind of what I call poor man's process sort of way, which means that we basically ran the actors up the street and then uh, <coughs> I chose a frame from playback and then we, we then set them in the, in the street and actually just got them to stand there frozen. And then we track the camera around them. So what you, what you see is being one shot is actually a set of shots. So they're running up the street. It's a different shot from the frozen one. Sure. And, 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 so, uh, and then you get that wonderful movement. But, but the three guys that were behind our main guy um, were in different positions, obviously. <laughs> so I was really choosing the, the first guy. And it was at the moment when we'd laid the track and had spent a lot of time choosing the shot and da, 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 uh, the moment where we got the guys back in in the background to, to freeze themselves that we discovered that one of them only had one leg <laughs> which is not a good discovery <laughs> so the poor guy I mean it was our fault for choosing you know we, the poor guy had to be helped with the prop and all that sort of stuff um, so, but that's just filming but, but um, realising something like that uh, and also you know the other part of that is that scene is we shot both in the Baker Street set 
in studios in Bristol and live in the street as well, and the, and the shots that overlap and there's moment. There's, so you have to get your head round how you're going to choreograph that. And part of the trouble with choreographing a huge scene like that um, is that people like Benedict and Martin Freeman will turn up and have their own view about where they're, where they're going. So you kind of have to manage that quite a lot as well. I mean, it's not that they're obstructive, but they'll come up with great ideas, yeah. and you'll go, oh, gosh, you know, whatever. So it's, so it's just coping with that is a big thing. Um, a, but, but, but also the brides, when she's sh shooting you know, from above, that was shot in a different location as well. So what, what you get yourself into, and to, to be honest, I think it's a muscle that you build over the years, so it's not something you just can just do like that, or I couldn't, certainly. Um, you get used to the idea of elements and, and, and not just shots, and you get used to the idea of, of understanding what CGI does, but also uh, how, uh, in no particular order, how, how uh, Benedict needs, what Benedict needs to, to do this performance, which order you do it in the schedule is going to be best. You know, and, and I, from memory, I think we did the Baker Street stuff in the actual set first. So it means that when we go out in the street, Benedict is having to mimic what he's already done, and that's a great argument for staging. And you also know where he's going. You know, you know what he's doing and everything else, and he, he, he gets it, you know. And, and these guys are very clever at the craft as well. So you're, 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 never, you're never on your own, you know. And I, I think that's a big thing. <clears throat> I've got a theory about directing that certainly happened to me, that at the beginning it happens to you, <laughs> you know, because you turn up on your first big shoot and... There's a whole crew standing there, and you've got a script, and, and you say, "Okay, could we just read it through?" And the actor starts saying the words, and it sort of happens to you. And I don't know when, when, when I transitioned into it being me, it being in charge of it more. But but the odd thing is that means that you can let them do more of their own work as well. So it's kind of a weird sort of switch around that happens. Or a clarification of your role. Well, well, you, you get more, you get more as, as you do more and more, you get more and more re relaxed about the process itself. I, I mean, I'm. I'm I mean, most of the people in this room will, will have stood on set and, and know that you, you might be in the middle of it as a director, but to the outside world, it looks like, like a mess. You know, well, the bigger the shoots get, the more that happens. And it, the more it fit, you know, to the outside, but you actually, if you're in a good place, and I'm not saying it happens every day or, or every hour, but most of the time you actually know where you are and know how to manage it and, and manipulate it, and yet <coughs> free up everybody to do their jobs well. That, that, that's, for me, that's a big, big thing. It's... Costume, makeup, you know, camera, sound, everybody, CGI, everybody should feel that they're part of a kind of a zoo on the set where they can they can speak and they can communicate and talk to me and everybody else, and that the idea is in charge and and the story is in charge all the time. That's not to say I don't make choices all the time because I do, but they they when a shoot of mine is working well, everybody trusts me and and I trust them and uh, including the actors. So it's kind of. It's very much a team thing. It's a cliche, but it, it, it's yeah. true. And uh, how much uh, in preparation do you... How, how much of that work is actually done in preparation? I mean, An enormous amount, yeah. but, but, but it, I, I, I do prep to, to feel free on the day. That, that's, what, that's my target, so that I, I don't feel like I'm turning up in a mystery box of stuff, you know, where I don't know what people are going to be feeling. Um, I'll take actors on, onto sets the day before for the same reason, you know, uh, to try because traditionally you, you just bang them on and turn over, and, you know. But I'll, 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 I'll try and demystify it for actors, especially child, children, you know, because it's all about you know just people feeling like safe on the set that they can express themselves. So when I'm when I'm directing, and I'm not the only one who does this, Danny Boyle does this as well. But when I'm directing, 
um, when I rehearse a scene, I chuck everybody off the set, like everybody apart from the script supervisor and the actors. <clears throat> and we'll have five, 10, 15 minutes on our own, just talking, you know, perhaps it's me telling stories, but then rehearsing a bit and getting it ready, and then we show it to the crew. So it's not, I know some directors like to just have everybody around, but I, I, I kind of, I want the actors to feel that they've got a special moment where, it's, where it just feels safe for them to express themselves. And it kind of works, you know. And there is a nice moment when actually they get to perform it for the crew. Yeah. They get to perform something they think, yeah. we're, we're quite happy with this. Yeah. And Although performing for crews is, is never good. Because <laughs> <laughs> they always look like they're, yeah. they're by mistake. Yeah. You know? and, and now you had a, you had a, a, a very good uh, Christmas and New Year um, mm. when you had the Doctor Who Christmas special and Sherlock. Within did, how many days of each other? Well, the Doctor Who Christmas special was on Christmas Day and Charlotte was on New Year's Day, so it was seven days. Yeah. So it was both, 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 both the radio times covers and, yeah, and I think England have won. And how, how possibly, <laughs> and uh, how, how far was that moment uh, from the moment when you'd been on the dole and you thought your drama career was over? About six or seven years. Yeah. There was, a, there was actually a moment where, where I sort of re, re sort of found directing where a, a mate of mine was, uh, I was on the dole and a mate of mine who works in Gaelic television said, there's a country and western music festival we're doing for BBC Alipa, the, the Scottish Gaelic channel, and we need somebody to do the links for it. Um, he said, said, I know you're, do, do you want to come and do them? It's like five days work and it's 400 quid a day. And I said, definitely, it's, that's the mortgage done. <laughs> And I went up there with such a sour face, thinking, you know, this wasn't the plan. I was going to be doing Star Wars by this point, and da da da. da. Uh, and then I got got up to Thursa, which I, I, you know I love being in the Highlands to start with. And um, the, the, the 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 young presenter, uh, Anne London, said to me the night before in the tell, says, "So what are we going to do tomorrow?" And I said, "I don't know." And she said, "I thought that was your job to know what we were doing." And I went, "Okay." And 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 I. And I sort of, she just sort of somehow switched my brain at that moment because I realised it was my job, and and I started directing in the morning, and um, I, within about ten minutes I was loving it and just got into it completely, and just as a director doing this this stuff, and and um, I just refound they were the best links you've ever seen. <laughs> they were fantastic, and and I'm really proud of them, you know, yeah. and. Uh, and, and I, I don't know, I, I, I then came back and, you know, Taggart appeared and then Line of Duty appeared and Doctor Who appeared because Marcus Wilson, their producer, yeah, yeah. And, uh, went to do Doctor Who. So I, I'd, I'd done it before, but I, I got back in the door with it. And then eventually, um, I, I, you know, Charlotte was happening alongside that. And I was slightly grumpy with Stephen and uh, Mark and Sue for not getting Sherlock because... I'd done Jekyll, and Jekyll was kind of a forerunner of Sherlock, according to them, not according to me. Um, but eventually, my, t my 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 turn came. Although there was a moment, there was a moment um, I was doing Doctor Who, and I knew they were looking for a director for Sherlock. I didn't know anything about it, and I'd worked with all of them, you know, at Hartswood. And I, I was I was sitting at Heathrow on a Friday night with a couple of drinks, and a, you know, and I emailed them, you know, so Stephen Moffat, Sue Virtue, Mark Gatiss, and Beryl Virtue as well, is you know overall charge of the company and I said, said I know you're looking for a director I'm just saying I really want to do it and then I, 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 I didn't finish the sentence I said I'm really glad I haven't sent the <laughs> and, and sent it and immediately felt incredible remorse you know and stupid you know, I just thought what an idiot you know uh, for sending that 
and nothing came back. And, I, and, and, and then, then one Friday afternoon, I was at home in Scotland, and my agent just phoned and said, they've offered you Sherlock, do you want to do it? And, and I mean, this is like six weeks later. <laughs> and and I, I went, what do you mean they've offered it? They want to see me, surely. And they said, no, no, they're just offering it. And, and uh, I went, but tell them yes. <laughs> uh, and and they, did, they, they still didn't talk about it. And so on the last day of filming, I was in a field with Mark Gatiss, and I said, it wasn't just us, it was the crew as well. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Mark. <laughs> That's another life altogether. Uh, and, and I said to Mark, um, you know that email I sent? Did, did, did you go... You got it, didn't you? He went, yeah, and he's smiling now. And I, and I went, so why didn't you reply? He said, it was just too delicious not to. <laughs> <laughs> Very Sherlock. Very Sherlock, yeah, yeah. 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 But, so, but it is important, uh, sorry, it's, 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 it's an anecdote to tell a story, which, an anecdote to make a point, which is uh, I never feel shy about, about pushing myself forwards and things. You know, the, the modesty thing that you were talking about, it doesn't come into that. I'll, I'll always be asking to do stuff. I was out in LA a couple of weeks ago and I've, I've sought out Noah Hawley, who, who's the showrunner for uh, Fargo and Legion. Legion is my favourite show of the last few years and uh, I want to work with them and, and that might happen. And I'm, I'm still knocking on doors. Yeah. yeah, that never stops. That never stops. Yeah. I don't know anybody who, who doesn't knock on doors. Yeah. Yeah. But after that uh, seven days mm. of Christmas and New Year, mm. uh, what difference did that make to your life having those two massive... Well, there was a sort of... At the rap party, Stephen had said to me that... Um, I said, he said, oh, this is going to put you on a different map. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to have a different map of, of the world after this goes out. And I went, come on, Stephen, it's the 10th episode of Sherlock. You know, I, I love it, but you know, I'm like the 10th man on the moon. Do you know what I mean? I said, you know, so... Um, and what, what I didn't realise the power of Sherlock was, you know, uh, and, and um, so what happened with it, first of all, was it got me my first big American job. After, I'd, I'd done Outlander the year before as well, but um, a show called Nightfall came, came a long way because Dominic Mengele, the showrunner uh, of it, had seen both those things and phoned me on my birthday in February and said, what are you up to? And, and uh, I said, nothing, I'm just waiting for, the, I don't know what the thing is, but I feel like those... You know, having Sherlock and, and the Doctor Who Christmas special feels like I should be moving on to something. <laughs> I should be, mo- you know, um, but I don't know whether that's going to be possible or not. And, and, and he said, well, what, well what, what about this thing I'm doing? And it was about the, you know, the Knights Templars. Should in, we look at a trailer? Yeah, yeah. We've got a little trailer, Nightfall. This is just coming out in the History Channel in this, this month in this country. Um, what I'd like to do is just ask you to talk for a little bit about uh, the scale of that. Yeah. Uh, particularly just those first images. We really like the, uh, the cars in um, Life of Beauty. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like actually now this is a way bigger mm. budget. It's got a mythic and religious story. Mm. Like, the bu- I mean, the, bu- the budget of Line of Duty, I think, is... Or was... I shouldn't say, actually, because it's... But, um, Small. It's relatively small. I mean, probably most people know the sort of the sort of budgets that are less than a million an episode, yeah. sort of thing. But, but this this is a f- five or six million dollars per episode per forty minutes, so which is about three or four million per episode. 
which gives that scale to it. But, you know, you know I, I was saying to Bill before we started that the thing about projects this big and the one I'm doing is now Good Omens is um, the budgets are higher, but in the end you're still doing the same thing. You're still filming people and things, you know, in the end, and storytelling. So in a way the job doesn't change at all. Um, but the scale initially is kind of frightening, but I've kind of built, built up to it. A friend of mine's got this thing where he says, the first 20 years are the hardest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I think to be able to do that stuff is because I've built up my experience over the years, so it doesn't frighten me to be standing with 80 horses and 80 riders and, and helicopters and all that stuff. Because um, all, all I see is images. All, in my head, all I'm getting is another image. Um, so, so but, but at the same time, you, you do... Often, often for me, the people that are scared are the producers because they're seeing all the mo this money being thrown at things. But the thing, the thing I believe in for all directing is 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 is, is, is the argument that you should put is not not one. Well, you, you fucking hired me. You give me the script and all that stuff. You shouldn't do that because because that's just mad. And you're going to be you'll be confronting all every day for your whole life. The thing that I, that I talk about all the time is beating people up with great ideas. So, so if you've got a great idea and, and, and you, you, you show the producers, you say, well, we've got this castle, but it's going to look stupid if we don't have 80 horses and, and 80, 80 guys. Generally speaking, they'll try and get you that. And, and if, you, if you convince them with ideas rather than so, somehow saying, you said we could do it, you know, it's, you know the difference. You, know I mean? you have to inspire them. You have to inspire them. You have to make them feel that they're doing something that is the most important bit of television that they're going to do that year or that day. And... and that you're going to realise it and it's, all, it's going to be great for everybody. It's going to be fantastic. If we do this big thing and we can get the 80 horses, you know, and, 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 and if we just do it with four horses, it's going to look a bit daft, you know. On that, on that moment, <laughs> practical optimism, I'd like to maybe uh, take some questions from the audience. Um, if we've got, we've got one here, we'll just wait for a microphone. Um, could you just talk a little bit more about if you're coming on to a show that's already established and you were saying that it's your endeavour not to stamp your personality on it but to, mm -hmm. to create the vision of the show, what's your preparation in terms of the style that has gone before and how you carry that forward? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, the, 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 first of all, watch it. Watch every frame that's been made within reason. You know, I haven't watched all of Doctor Who from the 60s, but I've watched quite a lot. Um, but, but know the style that the producers are, are looking for and talk to them, you know, sort of say, what is it you're looking for, you know? Um, just, just to take a handy one, one, for Doctor Who, for me, you're trying to find the DNA of the show to, to, to make it work and make a great episode. So for me, the DNA of, of Doctor Who is not just the wonder of it, but, but it's, it's, the, it's the TARDIS where it lands. It's, you know, the, the sonic screwdriver. It's the way the Doctor work, walks. It's the way... The TARDIS, it's, it's fetishizing the TARDIS inside and outside. It's, it's all that stuff. Um, and, and making it the, the, the best arrival of the TARDIS possible. You know, that. And, and you can apply that to the line of duty as well, because uh, for me, Jed's writing is all about intriguing. So how do you interpret his intriguing writing into images? You know, and I think that, that sequence we saw is very intriguing. So it follows, it, it, it's finding that DNA of it. Um, but in the end, what, what you're seeking is the vocabulary of the show. I mean, I've, I've just spent the morning in the cutting room with Neil Gaiman on Good Omens, and we talk all, about, all the time just now. We're trying to lock episode one, and we talk all the time about what a Good, good Omens shot looks like, you know, and, and what a Good Omens moment looks like. And, and so, because it's a new show, we're seeking out the vocabulary of it, 
because it's a limited series and it's only six that might ever be made, we're trying to, to make it a perfect good omens. I don't know if that helps, but, but the, the research I do, um, I, I, you know, with Nightfall, I, I, I read so much stuff about the Knights Templars, and there's not a lot, which is actually handy. <laughs> but I lived near St Andrews, and so went to the, you know, and, and dug out all the, the history books from there, and and reached. I, I, there was a point I reached with with Nightfall that I was looking up stuff on the internet that wasn't there. And if you if you find you're going off the internet, <laughs> then Stop. you're in good shape. No, you're in pretty good shape. And and I ended up, I think, knowing more than the historian that, that knew about the period. You know, so. My brain has got this weird pocket of knowing it all about the Knights Templars in Paris in 1306, you know, and in Scotland in 1314. But that's a different story. That's yeah, that was Bannockburn. Um, but the um, but so so it's, it's it's you can't do too much research for me. You can't you know so. But but then it's all about whittling that down to making it simple on set that you just you just know what it is. You know what the, the shot looks like. Um, with Taggart, um, the, the the actors had been doing it for centuries you know we our, our episodes were i think 103 to 109 you know um and they, they had shots that they could tell you about the taggart two shot which was was where it and, and blithe duff a the leading actress in it said this gets us home on friday nights at the right time because instead of having a two shots if you just put me like that and you put alex norton side on you'll get the tag taggart two shot Remember that? Yeah, but we shoved a study cam in there to kind of that confused them for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 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 so, so the show's DNA is known by everybody. But at the same time, it's odd. You you, you also have to shake it up a bit. You know, um, I've done Silent Witness a couple of times, and I did a train crash for, for it. And you, you, you know, you, you're you're a victim of the scripts you get. But but you just I don't know. You just seek out what the glorious things are about the, the thing, and you've you've got to learn to love it. You you can't to take the other other end what you can't do is go on to a long-running show in my opinion and feel grumpy about doing it because it's been around forever you can't do silent witness go it's 17 series you can't do that you've got to go in and love silent witness or not do it because there should be a queue of you guys who want to come in and do it and love it you know um you can't go into episodes of the bill and go it's the five millionth episode of the bill you've got to do the best episode of the bill possible i don't know if that helps but that's 15 minutes. Are we going to penalties? Uh, <laughs> question over there. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Bill. Uh, Hi. I just wanted to... You spoke a little bit about it earlier, but I wondered if you could, if you could, you could speak a bit more about um, career management mm. and how strategic you are when you make choices about the next job and what that conversation with, with your reps is like and, and ju just sure. how you think about it. Um, well, most of my career, I've just been a victim of what's come along. So it's, it's whatever's offered, whatever the next, next job is. Um, and it, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, 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 for me anyway, uh, there are some directors we know will do a short film and, I, and it's really valid to wait for the feature and hold them for gritted teeth and do it. There's some people in the room that are doing that right now and I think that's, that's fantastic. For, for me, what I wanted to do was just go out and direct stuff and, and uh, I'd need the money as well. So I started off, I did my short Gaelic film and that got me episodes of The Bill. And then I got a cop show and I got another cop show. And then I started doing the, 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 the ancient beer moths of ITV, Soldier, Soldier, and London's Burning. I did London's Burning when they had run out of money for fires. So <laughs> they, 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 had, they had a... Um, 
they had the fire appliances, as you had to call them, not engines, fire engines, no. And, and, and they had a fire station um, uh, with a pub, actually. That, that London's Burning had a pub that was a fictional pub that at, at seven o'clock turned into a real pub with a licence <laughs> that you could just, just drink at. Yeah, you could just drink it. But, but so I, I had an episode or two where the storyline was actually that there was uh, somebody who was going around... Um, doing um, fake calls. Um, yeah, and, and so the, the appliances would go out in the street as if, you know, with all this, and you'd shoot the whole thing, and they'd go out in the street, and then they'd get a message saying, no, no, it's a fake fire call, <laughs> just so they could use the stuff but not actually have a fire. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so, but in the last few years, what I've started doing is trying to be more picky because I can afford to. I'm lucky enough to be able to do that just now. Um, and I... I as I said earlier, I follow writing. I try and knock on the doors of the best writers in the country. And, and there's really, it's, it's really not that complicated in a way because um, if, you, if, you, if you spot a show on telly that you love and you look at the end credits, all the names are there and you've just got to go and seek them out. That's, that, they're there. They're just there. And they won't thank me for saying this, but that is what you need to do. Because you know? um, somebody, you know, somebody has to direct these shows. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think heading towards the, the, the work of people you like is a big thing for me. Why wouldn't you? You know, that's, that's a big thing. Um, but I do have a... I've got a, I've got a general theory about... This applies to actors as well, and practically all walks of life, about, about being in a queue of directors. And, and the, I think there's a queue of directors that, that, that stretches all the way to probably at the front of the queue is Steven Spielberg still, that all producers would rather have Spielberg on their show than have me. So they'd rather have Spielberg doing Doctor Who than me. Spielberg's busy doing whatever he's doing, and then you work past Scorsese, past, you know, blah, 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 blah. and eventually I'm going, hiya, you know, and, I'm sorry, and there's a queue behind me as well, and you hope to move up and down the queue. Well, you hope to move up, you know. And, 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 but, but you're always in the queue, because it's not... And, and you, you said something good before, it's, 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 it's kind of like there's a chance thing that happens, that the jobs that are for you will come to you, but you've got to be standing there waiting ready for them. Yeah. It's a game of endurance plus hope plus when you get the gig, you know, love it and head for it and embrace it properly, whatever, whatever the gig is. Just a quick one about approaching people that you, that you like. Yeah. Obviously, you have a profile now, so it's easy for you to yeah. call on Noah Hawley. But do you, uh, do you do it through your agent? Do you do it... Both. Find their production company and email them. And yeah, so so you're right. I've got you know I've got a CV that that is very healthy at the moment. But when I did my first Gaelic film, that 15 minute film with Peter Mullen set on Sky, um, I got a hundred VHSs made of it and sent it out to people that I that I knew. And I got the episode of the bill directly out of that that mail out. Um, and, and 95 of those VHSs are still in, in their envelope somewhere. <laughs> You know, from 20 years ago. Do you know what I mean? They're not around. So I, I, I think it's really fiddly now, uh, and, and I think there's, it, it, there's contradictory forces at, at hand because on the one hand, you can say, oh, well, you can just pop, pop your little film on an e email and send it to people, but, but that feels like throwing it off the cliff as well. You know? So I, I'm, I, I think people should try and make personal contact with somebody in the companies that you like you know, and, and not feel fobbed off if it's the secretary that you get because whoever it is that runs the company has said, you know, could you meet this person, you know, and, and go to those meetings and embrace them and 
you've got to build up networks of people. And, and I'm also a great believer in the idea of it being a tidal thing that, that we're all doing in our careers, that you, you push lots of things out to sea, and, and some of them will hit, most of them won't. You know, and I, I, I really, when I talk to students, uh, it's one of the things I say to them is putting all your eggs in one basket is, is like a crazy thing. It's just, it's just like a, the chances of that, that one be pushed out to sea and hitting is so remote and so hard because all the factors that have to come into place to make it work. So get lots of things on the go. And, and, but, you know, do, do the filming of the links and, and get a relationship with the company that have made it, you know, that you're doing that for. You know, be a runner, be, be, just work, and, but also try and make. And, and I, I'm a great, you know, uh, David Lynch said this brilliant thing about, about technology um, that I think really it, it should give hope, not despair. But he sort of said, the simplest bit of technology we've got for storytelling in the world is a piece of paper and a pencil. And yet, great novels don't get written every year. You know, they just don't. So great films don't get made every moment of every, all time. But somebody will make a great film, and it could, it could be you. But it's a craft, and, a, and, a, you know, and you've, got to, you've, got to, um, you've got to keep pushing at all these dif- different doors, and the right door will open somehow. Or maybe it won't. I, I, you know, I, th- I don't believe the bullshit about, you know, if you work hard, you'll get, get what you want. That's crap. But, but you won't get what you want without working hard. Slightly different. Anybody else? Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you about stamina. All right. What? Just well, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, you are now working uh, incredibly hard. Yeah. On, uh, you know, you, you talked about how you've got muscles for, for big, big mm. scale. Uh, but you're now doing... Well, Good, Good Omens is this beast that I'm doing just now, which is a six-part adaptation for uh, BBC Studios for Amazon. And it's the most expensive drama that the BBC have made and Amazon have made um, so far. Um, and it's an adaptation of a book written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Terry Pratchett sadly died a few years ago, but Neil has written the scripts and is show running. And I'm directing all six and exec producing it as well. And we've just finished shooting. We did 117 days of directing with a brick, brick at Christmas, but we shot from September last year all the way through to March this year, pretty, pretty much continuously, both in the UK and then in South Africa. And uh, I, did, I did one period where I was away from home in Scotland for 187 days out of 200, which somebody worked out in the office, which I, I really didn't want to know that, you know. But, but, I mean, with Good Omens, I've just plunged everything into it like, again, because I, I love it as a, as a thing. It, it's about God again. But, you know, God actually appears in it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, as a voice. Uh, it's got 240 speaking parts. And, and it's kind of... Uh, I, I, I got sent it by one of the execs. Um, it was on my son's birthday in February. Uh, and it was his 18th birthday. And she just got in touch by text saying... Do you, want to, do you want to read a script? I've got Neil here, I'm sitting in BAFTA in London. Do you want to read a script? And I've said, well, it's my son's 18th birthday, but yeah, send it over and I'll, I'll, I'll read it tomorrow, you know? And I opened it up and read it and carried on reading it. And an hour later, I was texting her madly, Craig, are you still there? You know? and, and I said, um, I'm having this, this is mine. I, I know how to do this. Because I just recognised I knew how to do this show. Time will tell whether I'm right or not, but I felt like it, because it felt like it's got... Huge cast, huge CGI elements. I mean, CGI on its own is, is millions of pounds worth of CGI. 
it's got a crazy ideas, and, and yet it's very much in the zeitgeist, even though it was written 27 years ago, the book was. Um, but the stamina thing, uh, I, I think it's a muscle that you, um, you build, and I, I just don't get freaked out by directing anymore. There was a time when I would have, but I just, I, I, and it's because I love it. I, just lo I, I love stepping on the floor most, most days. It, even when there's shit going on, it, you know, it's good fun, and it's better than, you know, travelling the other direction from the... When you, when you, you know when you go out to shoots and, and, and it's really early morning and all the cars are going the other way? That, I like that, that feeling, that you're going the opposite direction from the rest of the world. Um, so we, we finished filming about four, about eight weeks ago, apart from a few pick-up days, uh, and I'll be on it all the way to Christmas. Uh, we're, we're going to see David Arnold, the composer, tomorrow uh, to hear the theme music for the first time. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, we've got Milker doing the CGI, Bang and Cardiff are doing the sound. Who did Sherlock? Both of them did Sherlock. Both of them got Emmys for it. So, that, so I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't just take the same team, but but that's that's a way to the stamina if you know people. Um, and honestly, we, we, when we finished in, in South Africa, I think the crew would have carried on for again. They would have carried on forever because it, we were having such a great time filming, and we and that you, you get energy out of doing good work. It's really easy to direct great scenes. It's really hard to direct bad ones. You love it, don't you? I do love it, yeah, yeah. Douglas McKinnon, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. This podcast was recorded from an event as part of the Directors UK programme. Directors UK is the professional association of all screen directors. We now have over 6,000 members and our work involves campaigning, lobbying and supporting the craft of directing in the UK. To find out more, please visit www.directors.uk.com. <laughs>